Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a driver reach and freight waves production. I'm Leah Shaver, President and CEO of the National Transportation Institute. In Jeremy's absence, I am excited to be your guest host. On this show, we interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insight to the driver life cycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. Your feedback is very important to us. Please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you are using to listen. Today, I am especially honored to be chatting with the founder and CEO of the Graw Group, Doug Graw. It's good to see you again, Doug. Great to see you too, Leah. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm really glad to have this time to rely on your expertise, more importantly, share it with our listeners. And I'm so glad that you were able to join me today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Always love talking about uh, owner operators, especially. I think that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, uh, they're, they're an awesome group of people and, and, and look forward to the discussion. Well, as a matter of fact, that is my plan. My plan uh, is for all of us to learn about AB5 and its impact on the trucking industry, even possibly outside of California. Chat about the significant difference between a company driver and an independent contractor and why you and I have always put so much weight on each. Review some takeaways on mitigating conflict in the workplace and get your take on the two-check system with our Deeper Dive segment. Lastly, I hope to tap into your crystal ball as we look for your insight into the future of owner-operators in the trucking industry. So let's get started. First up, sum up AB5 for us, particularly for our audience of recruiters, driver managers, HR personnel. Like if I'm a recruiter sitting in the office in the Midwest somewhere by chance, I may know that AB5 exists and needs to be on my radar, but I really don't know how it affects me or why. So give us a summary and even a quick update on what's happened over the past few months with the Supreme Court. Yeah, so AB5 is a piece of legislation. It, it is called AB5 because the legislation is called Assembly Bill Number 5, so AB5. Uh, it is also sometimes referred to as California's ABC test. It's called that because it is a piece of legislation that defines what it means to be an independent contractor in the state of California. Okay, and it uses a three-factor test. It could be a one, two, three test for all we care. It just so happens to be named an ABC test. And those three factors, um, two of them are pretty straightforward and are used in many places around the country. One talks about control and one talks about an independently established trade. That's not novel. That's, again, uh, used in many different states. What is unique to California is the B prong, the, the second factor. Okay, there are a lot of other states that have a similar ABC test, but their B prong is different. And what is different is in California, it is very difficult to say that a person is independent contractor if they are in the same industry as the contracting company. So let's let's talk trucking. An owner operator is providing trucking services. A trucking company is providing trucking services. It is difficult to argue that an owner-operator is independent of a trucking company in California because they're in the same industry. Now, in a software engineer can be an independent contractor in trucking in California because trucking is not a software company. Um, a lawn care person for a trucking company can be independent. But it's really difficult to meet this B standard in California 
because of this independent uh, industry thing. Now, what's going on with the legislation? It was passed a few years ago. A whole bunch of uh, challenges came up in the court system that put it on pause. But unfortunately, the U.S. Supreme Court kind of stopped that pause this summer uh, by rejecting the case. Now, the Supreme Court didn't say California's uh, rule is okay or that it's good or it's bad. It just said, we're not going to hear it. And what that means is the lawsuits keep going, but unfortunately, the pause is gone. So what the recruiter in the Midwest needs to know is this threat of an AB5 they maybe heard whispers about for the past couple of years is now actually in effect in California. It may change down the road, but today it's in effect. Okay. So we've scratched the surface and I want to ask a question that's a little bit more in the weeds. As you know, my background is in human resources. And like you, I worked at a motor carrier for 14 years. Our protocol, our coaching internally on how to best interact or not interact with an independent contractor to respect their independence stemmed off of what's called an SS8 inquiry. And of course, you know that that's initiated by the IRS. AB5, however, is a state-level law, really doesn't have anything to do with the IRS, but I'm hoping you can tie it all together for us. Reconcile what AB5 puts out there, the ABC test that you mentioned, with what the IRS looks at regarding independent contractors and um, tax inquiries, if you will. Particularly because we keep hearing news about the IRS hiring 87,000 or something like that new people over the next 10 years. Are they same? Are they different? What are the rules exactly? So they're different, but I would say this. If I'm in day-to-day operations of a trucking company, I'm in recruiting, I'm in operations, uh, but I'm just on the floor executing on a day-to-day basis, I wouldn't get too worried about the nuanced differences between the IRS's SS8 form, which you, you described, California's ABC test, uh, or Illinois' version of, of, of uh, what it means to be an independent contractor or Georgia's and so on. There are differences, and sometimes those are very meaningful. But for the most part, whether or not someone is an independent contractor comes down to control. How much control do you, motor carrier, exercise over this owner-operator? Okay, They come down to economic freedom the ability for the owner-operator to earn a profit or suffer a loss uh, uh, in their business, okay, and their ability to use their business acumen to succeed. If you're good on those three fronts, if you're respecting that freedom from control that they have, that freedom to to earn their way or earn their loss, uh, whatever the case may be, then you're going to be pretty good on independent contractor status. Again, For certain audiences, yeah, we can really get in the weeds and talk about uh, some of the nuanced differences, and I'm happy to do that with you. But I'm trying to keep in perspective. If I'm in day-to-day operations, what do I need to worry about? I need to worry about control. I need to worry about economic realities, economic freedom, uh, and, and just generally respecting the fact that they are independent business people. All right. Well, crystal clear. um, But what sticks out to me there is uh, the other thing that we all have to look at, which, of course, is retention. Um, But I'm going to get back to my question on that in regards to your statement on profit and loss. You talked with us at NTI a few months ago, directly after the Supreme Court decision not to hear the case, to basically allow AB5 to remain in effect. 
your main message to carriers was that when a driver or drivers choose to sue a motor carrier, it almost always stems from a grievance of some kind, a dispute over pay, a workplace injury, complaints that go unheard, an unemployment claim after they leave. They feel wronged by the company somehow. And that's exactly what I experienced in my years in human resources at a trucking company as well. So walk us through your advice for each department at a fleet on how to avoid grievances that lead to lawsuits in the first place. From the carrier's first touch point with a driver, which of course is our team of recruiters, to after a driver joins the company and all and along. How can leadership at a motor carrier coach their people on what to do, and more importantly, what not to do in these situations? Great question. I think what it amounts to is alignment and honesty, okay, in, in what you do. And I say alignment, first of all, because you're, you're right, the recruiters are that, that first interaction with the owner-operator. You as a motor carrier need to make sure that what the recruiter, the message the recruiters are delivering lines up with the message that the operations team is delivering which matches up with what the sales team is selling uh, out in the freight market. And it's what the administrative team behind the scenes is administering. We all need to be on the same page. Where carriers often get in trouble is, and this doesn't, I'm not accusing anybody of ever being purposefully dishonest. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it happens. But for the most part, people are trying to do what they think is the right thing. Okay, But that doesn't mean that sometimes they don't get the latest updates of what might be happening with the freight network or what might be happening in the recruiting pool or, or, or whatever the case is, or a change that happened in the lease purchase program. You have to make sure that there is uh, clear alignment and everybody's up to date on what are, what do we do? What do we offer? How does our contract work? Uh, how does our pay work? You have to be aligned because when there is an alignment, you start seeing cracks and what starts to happen is, well, my recruiter said I would be paid for this. And now you operations are telling me I'm not getting paid for this. Uh, or I'd be paid this amount or something like that. So many disputes, whether it's a pay issue, uh, an injury issue, or just some other kind of dispute really happen because there's not good alignment internally. And then there's not good communication. And then people are not being honest or whether purposefully dishonest or just dishonest because they didn't know that leads them uh, into problems. Gotcha. Well, I think this ties in really well with one of our main coaching points at NTI with fleets that we work with. And that is to not stop recruiting once a driver is seated in the truck. And what do we mean by that is constantly resell your company. Talk about your benefits, what makes your company great, why drivers choose to stay with you. With independent contractors, I think the same point applies. And with a much larger focus on the educational standpoint about independent contractors. So once you've recruited an independent contractor, you have to consistently remind them about the delineation of duties and responsibilities so they understand the relationship, what you do and don't do in a contracted relationship, et cetera. What are the best practices in those communications? What are the areas that a carrier should concentrate on regards, um, in regards to communicating with independent contractors? And what are some areas to avoid? Yeah, so think of it this way. As a motor carrier, you have a front row seat to all sorts of different owner operators within your ecosystem, okay? And you know the ones that do really well and the ones that don't do so well by whatever their financial goals are. 
Okay. So you have all sorts of tips that you can give. Okay. You can share those best practices. And if you think to yourself as, Hey, I am sharing best practices with you owner operator on how to fuel better, uh, and, and, and lower your costs and, and, and so on. I'm sharing best practices with you on how to get the most miles in our freight network. If you think about it from that perspective with that kind of terminology in mind, it's not, hey, you need to take five loads a week every week, uh, no questions asked. You can't talk to them like that. And honestly, you probably can't talk to an employee driver like that either. Uh, you're going to have problems too. But, but, but this whole notion of, hey, Joe, I'm just trying to help you be successful. And I can tell you there are people on my board, there are people I work with that are making this kind of money, and here's how they're doing it. Now, you got to be a little bit careful about some details that you give of, of other people's personal information and so on. Obviously, you can't do that. But you can speak generally about the best practices that they use. Same thing in safety. Hey, Joe, we want you to be home safe every day. I'm not going to take credit for this, but but a, a phrase I heard uh, uh, a few years ago in safety that I think is so fantastic. You as a motor carrier should be there to look after your drivers, not look over them. Same thing with owner operators. You are there to look after them and help them get home safely every day or whenever it is they get home, to, to turn off the truck safely every day. Okay. Share those best practices. And if owner operators don't prove or prove that they are not safe enough, well, then you do have contract rights and you've got disqualification rights. You can still hold people accountable. Uh, just because they're an owner operator doesn't mean you can't hold people accountable. It just changes the way in which you do it. And you do it through best practices, understanding your contract terms, uh, and, and executing accordingly. All right. So now that we're looking after our contractors, let's look over a little bit more of the details. I want to get a little bit further into the weeds on AB5 for those of us that are really interested. And frankly, I think in terms of coverage on this, um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that we all want to know because we just haven't heard these questions asked before. So number one, now that AB5 has been okayed essentially in California, there's talk that this will spread to other states throughout the country. And that just doesn't sound good for a motor carrier. What states are on your radar next? And more importantly, what adjustments do we need to make now and then for later? Yeah. So Look at the political landscape. Just always remember, you're always one election away uh, from from a good state becoming a bad state, a bad state becoming a good state. So you, there's there's always a little bit of chance to it. Um, this is not necessarily red versus blue. Uh, there are some red states who are, who are potentially on the watch list. There are some blue states that aren't. Um, so uh, where I would look, a lot of this this issue comes out of the ports. Okay. So I'd look at any state that's got a port as, as a potential uh, ground for this to happen. And then I do look at some, you know, Illinois is, is always on the radar uh, of a potential state. But I'm probably looking at the coast uh, because of the ports. I'm looking at Illinois. Uh, and, uh, and, and probably those are my main focus states right now. But, you know, a Nevada, uh, don't underestimate a state like a Nevada. Uh, I don't think it'll happen necessarily there, but 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 you know it it, it could happen uh, in, in in other states. Georgia, for example, it, it has the port. It's a state that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think something bad could happen, uh, but you never know. Uh, Georgia's got some some signs that that maybe it could have something like this. Now, I will say this: 
there there is no state that I'm hearing is imminently looking at this. Um, doesn't mean bills don't get introduced that that don't go anywhere every year. There are plenty of states that ha- that happens. Um, but but just keep an eye on it. My advice to to motor carriers out there is. Keep an eye on it. Be engaged with your state industry association, the, the 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 national associations. Educate lawmakers on owner operators, and and encourage your owner operators to educate lawmakers, uh, because we all know the vast vast majority of owner operators love it, and they are going to want to continue to be owner operators. Uh, make sure they have a seat at the table and they get to voice their concerns as well. Yeah, for sure. There, um, this has always been uh, essentially the pinnacle of a career opportunity in terms of independence for for an independent trucker, and um, I can imagine that they have a lot to say about it too. So, follow up question to my last one: from a legal procedure standpoint, if a state under a different appellate jurisdiction than California enacts a law, faces a lawsuit, and the appellate court takes up the case. Are they bound to the Ninth Circuit ruling? Could they decide differently and perhaps set up another shot at a Supreme Court case? They are not bound uh, by what's happened in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, and no, there's conflicting opinions uh, in a different circuit. Uh, so they, they could follow the, the, the East Coast, uh, ha- has a different uh, uh, chain of opinions. Uh, so this litigation is not over. Even in California, the litigation is not over. The California Trucking Association and other industry stakeholders are continuing the litigation. Uh, the fight is not over. It definitely was not a good summer uh, for, for, for the issue, but it doesn't mean it is over. And no, uh, there, there's no other jurisdiction that is bound by this. Okay. Well, I want to go back to what I mentioned earlier in terms of, um, you know, we were talking about behavioral control, financial control, the relationship between the two parties. At the same time, these laws have the potential to spread elsewhere. Keep in mind that fuel costs are up. Freight in the spot market has fallen dramatically. Many owner operators and small trucking businesses are looking to run under another motor carrier's authority as contractors or even as a company driver. And I have seen this scenario over the years fairly often. When a company driver wants to leave the company to become an owner operator or an independent contractor, the company will say, no way, just stay here. We can even lease you the truck that you're already in. They change the truck number. They put the person to work as an independent contractor. But as soon as the contractor has a down period, not making any money, you mentioned earlier, have to recognize and and actually experience both profit and loss, but not everybody likes to lose. They instead want to come back and be a company driver again. Technically, kind of looks like they're employed the entire time. So I say all of that to ask you this question. What do recruiting departments, leasing departments, and other motor carrier personnel listening to this need to avoid in terms of blurring the lines between independent contractor and employee status, particularly in the changing legal landscape? So uh, you brought up a great example because it's when you don't do the change from one to the other fully, uh, uh, completely, you can get into some trouble. Uh, so when one, when a driver is going from one to the other, either from employee to owner operator or from owner operator back to employee, make sure it is complete. It needs to be complete on paper. Uh, meaning if they're, they're leaving being an employee, then do everything that you would do when you, an, an employee, your office employee leaves. Okay. Cause they're no longer, you're an employee. Okay. 
uh, on the recruiting side, if they're going to be got, then become that owner operator, make sure they have a full new contract, just like a new owner operator uh, w- would be. Uh, if they are going to lease a truck, I don't love the idea sometimes when carriers do the just you can lease the one that you're in. Um, typically, I, I, I like to see, no, keep your company truck segregated from your owner operator trucks um, wherever possible. That's not always practical, but wherever possible. But then also in your system, make sure that there are system changes and that you start talking to them differently and that the pay is different and so on. This goes back to, to one of our, our earlier questions about respecting their business freedom and, and talking to them about best practices rather than you just need to go do this now, Joe. Uh, if you don't, if, if treating them as independent doesn't permeate everything you do with them, then you're right. It's going to get a little bit sloppy and you're going to run into some problems. So my advice is make it complete. Check every box on the paper, check every box in the system and check every box in the way you interact with them on a day-to-day basis to make sure now you are walking and talking like they're an owner-operator, not an employee. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Got it. All right. It's time for our deeper dive section where we take a question from a member of our audience. I have heard about something called a two-check system. And I saw a recent press release where the Transforce CEO, Dennis Cook, said the same thing. We have a solution for AB5, and it's the two-check system. What are your thoughts on that? What is it? And is it actually a good workaround for AB5? Yes, I'm familiar with the two-check system. Uh, There are, when people are trying to uh, adhere to the AB5, there's a couple of options that they're really uh, getting serious about. One is the broker carrier model. Some people call it the settlement carrier model. Um, And that that, that can be a pretty good option. Uh, And the two-check system can be a pretty good option as well. Uh, Two-check can work. There's there's a lot to to work about. And and here's what two-check means. It means uh, you owner operator are actually going to become an employee driver under one of your hats and you are going to lease equipment under another one of your hats. So instead of making, call it just $1.20 a mile, what's going to happen is the motor carrier is going to cut you one check for your driving services. And that is going to be some cents per mile, plus benefits, work comp, all that kind of stuff. Then the remainder of that $1.20 is going to be a lease payment, a truck payment. They are going to, the motor carrier will pay you owner operator for use of your truck. So that's why you end up with two checks, one for your driving, one for your truck. Okay. So it sounds nice. Like I said, and it, it can work. This used to be relatively popular in the seventies and eighties. Okay. Maybe even into the early nineties, kind of a thing, mostly in the South and in the West, uh, as where more motor carriers were, were trying it, uh, back then, um, it runs into issues with taxes, okay? And I'm not a tax expert. I'm not going to claim to know all the nuances of, of what the issues are and are not with the two-check system and taxes. I just know that where they run into problems is 
how much is driver services versus how much is equipment services and how much money should be assigned to each. And if the taxing authorities don't like the way you've assigned that, they can have some problems with, uh, with, with, with the way you do things. Um, and it doesn't necessarily solve the independent contractor issue because there are some, there is some case law out there that will take the truck payment and just call it wages and say they were an employee for everything. Okay. Um, or, or say that it should have been wages, excuse me. Um, so I, I say that to mean it can work. I don't want to, to, to say it's, it's a bad idea. Don't try it. Don't test it out. I have no issues with the company that, that, uh, that suggested it. It's a viable option. I just know that it's, there's nothing out there that is get out of jail free. You've got no issues. This is the way to go. Golden ticket, all that kind of stuff. The broker model has some issues. The two check system has some issues. Whichever model you go with, or if you stick with the traditional model, it you have to execute it all the way through. Your website has to be good. Your recruiters have to be good. Your operations has to be good. Your lease purchase has to be good. All of it has to align in favor of independent contractor status. We're going to quote you on that. The, the, last, uh, the last phrase was the one that I will be hanging my hat on, if you will. I think ultimately there's a trap everywhere, but um, certainly... Put your lawyer and your your CPA in a room together, and they might have uh, the disagreement for you. And if um, I could add there, uh, Leah, yeah. you're you're exactly right. It this should not be decided by your lawyer. It should not be decided by your CPA. It should be decided by your CPA, your lawyer, your operations people, your recruiting people, your salespeople working together to come up with a solution. Because if you just listen to one of those voices, it's not going to work. Yeah, Everybody has to be sure. on the same page. All right. Well, it's been two months since the Supreme Court's ruling. And in that time period, I just want to know what adjustments have you seen carriers making and what adjustments are contractors making? I've heard that there are contract drivers saying they don't want anything to do with California. I've heard that carriers are saying uh, take it as far as to the uh, the California border. What have you heard and what are the new plays here? Yeah, I've heard those same things as well. A lot of questions that that immediately came up was, does this apply to me? Okay. And honestly, most of the companies that this was going to apply to started making adjustments three years ago uh, when the bill was passed. Now, you said it got paused because of some lawsuits, uh, but but a lot of the companies that were heavily operating in California, uh, they were prepared a long time ago. Uh, or, or, or at least had something in the works. So, but yes, some of them are stopping at the Nevada border. Some of them are just saying we're we're going to be done with California altogether. Some have gone. We're going to do the. We're just going to go employee model. Um, the most common thing I see is the broker carrier model, where you motor carriers stop being a motor carrier and you start becoming a broker, and the owner operators go get their own authority and work with you as a motor carrier and you as a broker as opposed to motor carrier owner operator. That's been the most common one. Like you said, that can work, but it takes a full commitment uh, throughout your organization to changing your model. Um, what I do know a lot of companies don't like doing is doing having a different business model for, say, the, the West 
than they do the, the rest of the, 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 the place. That gets difficult to try to keep straight and administer. That's a lot to ask recruiters, operations people, uh, uh, and so on. Um, so my, my advice is, first of all, make sure you know whether or not it, you th- uh, it applies to you uh, before you decide how much you need to change. Okay, got it. Um, we're out of time, Doug. I want to thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the industry. And I wish you and the rest of the team at the Grog Group much success. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it. And thanks to you for joining me on another episode of Taking the Higher Road. Remember that you can submit any questions or comments, including those that appear on the upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. Don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you listen. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road. <music>